Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12, and I'll be reciting that. Now, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. Though all its parts are many, they all form one body. So it is with Christ. For you were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. If, if the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has assembled all the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, one body. Now you, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you, each one of you is a part of it. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, I'm Dennis Hall. I'm the assistant pastor here. And for those of you who don't know much about our church, we are a church that loves Jesus. We're a church that loves the Lord. And we're a church that's intentionally multicultural. And so it is our aim to reflect the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm proud to be a part of a church whose aim is to be like Jesus and to reflect the Trinity of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As many of you know, there's a lot of things going on in our society right now, in our country, uh, a lot of difficult things. And in my assignment today to preach, as you know, we are discussing the spiritual gifts. And I'm like, Lord, how am I going to connect what's happening in our society, what's happening in our country, what's even happening in our city, to uh, our topics, which is, you know, uniquely you, you know, uh, how as individuals, we have been filled with the Spirit and given a gift. You know, because usually when we talk about spiritual gifts, either a church really isn't practicing the spiritual gifts or, or the church really doesn't acknowledge them or the church becomes so focused on itself that all the gifts are contained there. And I'm like, oh, what, how am I going to do this? And I still don't know. <laughs> no. 
I believe the Lord has a word for us today. And I first want to begin with this beautiful passage. If, if we could bring it back of 1 Corinthians 12. And it reads, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an ear, I, I'm sorry, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. You know, I started to ask myself, in what context would someone write this letter to a church? And so first I just want to briefly just talk about this city of Corinth in which Paul writes this amazing letter in which we find our text for today. Uh, as many of you know, Corinth, uh, it's off of Greece. It was an island in Greece and it had a population of close to $600,000, I mean, 600,000 people. <laughs> Can you tell what's on Dennis's mind this morning? Uh, it's in the Mediterranean. It, it was a great commercial city. And all of us know what happens in great commercial cities, you know, like Cincinnati when they're next to water, is that they're a great place for trade, for commerce, and we know what happens when there's a lot of trade and commerce. Well, Corinth also had a temple dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And associated with this temple was temple prostitution. So they're saying that there is probably over a thousand temple prostitutes in this city. So going along with it being a commercial, a, a, a hustle and bustling city, it also was multi-ethnic, and it had a lot of immigrants. So it had Romans, it had Greeks, it had Phoenicians, it had all kinds, and then it had a great multitude of Jewish people. I mean, so you can just imagine, almost like what we're going through today, there had to have been some kind of rumblings and conflict with all that hustle and bustle, all those prostitutes. You know, there was robbery. There was all kinds of issues going on in this city. Matter of fact, one of the authors, he wrote, in the, this was a city of mongrels, of 
heterogeneous population where the Greeks, the Romans, the Phoenicians, and the Jews, and there were merchants and sailors and slaves and freemen. There were, there were hucksters, and there were agents of every kind of vice. It's almost starting to sound a little bit familiar. But what's so amazing to me that in this context of all this craziness, of all this debauchery and all this, all this sex and all this immorality, God decides to plant a church. Now, in our society, we kind of run from that stuff and go to the suburbs. But God plants his presence in the middle of a city that has over a thousand prostitutes, that has issues of robbery and thievery and all those kind of things, he plants his church there. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Aren't we supposed to lock our doors and chain our windows and all that and, and run from all this stuff? Aren't we supposed to cower in fear and, and, and say, oh God, what's happening to us now? But instead, God goes there. Amazing, isn't it? So what's even amazing, after the church is planted by Paul and the church is thriving, you can just imagine what's in that church. It had to have been ex-prostitutes and, and, and Jewish people who normally wouldn't get along with the non-Jewish people. And can you, can you just imagine the blacks and whites, you know, Jewish, Greeks, getting along in the same place, together in the same place? Can you imagine those that that used to be thieves and robbers, they have an encounter with Christ, and, and now, but everybody's all in the same place in this debauchery city. And in this context, Paul is in Ephesus, and he hears rumors that people in this church are becoming more like the world than they are the church. Jesus. He's kind of, I'm, I'm sure Paul is kind of wondering, in the midst of all this darkness, you're starting to allow the shadows to creep into the church. And so I know you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with me and my gift? Well, it's in this context, I believe Paul is addressing the Corinthian church, because they've started, you know, there were, there were, you know, he had heard about that there was divisions in the church, there was immorality in the church. Matter of fact, the church was starting to celebrate immorality. So no longer was there good or bad, now the bad is considered good. Oh, does that sound familiar, anybody? <laughs> and so the church... They were having troubles with the Lord's Supper. You know, it, it, wasn't, it didn't have the deep meaning and, and spiritual aspect that it had before. And, and people were just, just you know, being greedy and, and all those things. And so Paul in Ephesus, he writes this letter. And I believe part of the impetus of this letter, Paul is trying to say, here, Corinthian church, see, you 
are sanctified in Christ. If you read chapter 1 in Corinthians, you'll see this. You're sanctified in Jesus Christ. You once were sinners, now you're called saints. You're no longer classified with the pagans, with the religious. You know, there's no longer there's a need for animosity between the Jew and the Greek. You are all recipients of grace of God. You have all been enriched in Christ. So no longer is it about being greedy. No longer is it about uh, the usury. And then the <laughs> top it off, he goes, and you don't lack any of the gifts. <laughs> Yet... This is what I believe Paul is saying. You are missing an opportunity. Here your society is riddled with confusion, with chaos. Here your society, you have prostitutes, immorality, people shacking up everywhere. Here you have all kinds of agendas that are being put out on our young people, and here you have been endowed with the Spirit of the living God. And you're locking your doors. Paul is saying that instead of, of, of who you are in Christ, what you're doing, you're going back to the old patterns, and, and you're being just like them. This is the context of where he is in verse 12. Like all this fighting and all this bickering and and all this self-centered activity that's going on in the church in Corinth. And Paul says, don't you know that you have been given a gift? Not only a gift, a supernatural gift. That not only has already changed you, but this gift can also edify the body, but also is meant to change the world. Oh, my God. Could it be, College Hill, that we can rest on our laurels of the past? Of how God's so blessed and God's so enriched by the power of His Spirit that we became cinders and equippers. Can it be that God is asking, He's writing His own letter and saying, I have given you so much, I have endowed you with spiritual gifts. Are you missing an opportunity that's all around you? Because when you don't know your gift, when you don't operate in your gift, when you're not submitted to Jesus in your gift, you're impotent. You no longer are sought. in an unseasoned community. You see, the gifts are God's supernatural provision for the edification of the church and the witness to the world. 
The gifts are the means through which we as believers, listen to this, Calaccio. The gifts are the means through which we as believers connect, uh oh, serve, and celebrate. Come on, somebody say that with me. Ready? Because this is our vision. Ready? Connect, serve, celebrate. Let's do it again. Connect, serve, celebrate. You see, the gifts are the means through which we as College Hill Presbyterian Church live out our vision. That's why this series just isn't some other Bible teaching just about us getting, as Amy Grant, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself, as Amy, Amy Grant used to sing, Fat, Fat Baby. Her song was all about, we just come on Sundays or come on those special events and we sit in the pew and we listen to the wonderful choir and we listen to the great preaching and we have our our fun times together. And people sitting right next to us are hurting because we're not discerning by the power of the Spirit that there's pain. There's people having trouble in their marriages that are right in the midst of us. And because we're not endowed and using the gift that we can have wisdom to help a couple through a situation, maybe because we're not acting and operating out of the gift that God has given us. But that's just right here. God also meant for his endowment of the gifts in the midst of chaos and craziness to impact the world because it is God's heart that he be glorified and God is glorified through the kingdom and the kingdom is ushered in through the church. Let's talk about Keith Lamar Scott. He was the 173rd black person fatally shot by police in 2016. That's the Washington Post. And the majority of these black men were unarmed. Let's talk about the protests and the riots in Charlotte. Where it's really not about that one incident or, or even these incidents. It's really about a whole systemic issue of where a group of people have not been allowed to sing America like everybody else. And so the pent-up rage of young men who grew up in homes without dads. Where a system that we live in is more advantageous to live apart than to be married. That's a fact. Economically. 
Yet this isn't a political speech. This is a gift speech. Let's get to Cincinnati. District 5. Isn't that our district? Between August 21st and September 17th, that's 28 days, two homicides, six rapes, 18 robberies, 14 aggravated assaults, 40 violent crimes in one month. Property crimes, 248. Yeah, I know it only happens in Washington. What's the name of it? Washington, Washington Park, which is part of that district. You know, I know it happens somewhere else and not here in College Hill. Let's also talk about in the Washington Post on the six-day stretch, six days, the same amount of time it took God to create the world. In six days, 174 heroin overdoses in our city. In our city. And this came really close to me because we had a car accident maybe two weeks ago, and it was right outside our property. And, you know, it was a pretty bad accident. The woman was pregnant. She was 37 weeks pregnant. And, and so God allowed it that I was there when it happened. So I ran over, and I was trying to help. And, but to make a long story short, I began to talk to the, to the responder, emergency responder. And he said, oh, yeah. I'm just glad it's not another heroin overdose run. <laughs> That's what he told me. I understood, you know, I know he wasn't happy about the, I know, you know, I knew that. I knew that he wasn't, you know, because this was a serious accident where a woman was 36, seven weeks pregnant and had to go to the but he was saying, at least this wasn't another heroin overdose. Run. He said the majority of our calls these days are heroin overdose. And he said, no matter of fact, a lot of it comes from north side. I'm like, oh, my God, it's right here. You know, in the Bible... During this period of, 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 of our text, you know, they used to say uh, Corinthianized when they would describe places. They were actually saying it was places of, you know, immorality, debauchery, all those type of things. Well, College Hill Presbyterian Church, we have become Corinthianized. We are being known nationally as a place of heroin addicts. And again, you're asking, what does that have to do with me and me coming to church this morning? I came to church this morning just to hear a word from God that I might be encouraged, that I might know how to... I believe Paul wrote this letter in the context 
that God inspired him that the church has become impotent. The church has become so entangled with the world, so scared and so fearful, so connected with political parties that she has lost her power because she is not using her endowed supernatural power of spiritual gifts. The gifts of the church is supposed to be a witness to society that God is among us. The gifts, the supernatural gifts, are an indication that the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you know what a drug house needs in our society and in our community on North Side? They need somebody to go up in there and say the kingdom of God is at hand. There is a Savior who can heal you, who can restore you. You know what? Let me pray for you right now. I'm going to lay hands on you. That's what the church that Paul is talking about in Corinthians. We have been endowed with power. Supernatural power. We are to walk in the supernatural grace and love and power of God. Like you, I'm puzzled and, 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 and just don't know what to do about all this racial stuff. But God does. God did. He died. That's the answer. The cross. We know what to do. We know what to say. We know what to present. It's Jesus. It's the cross. It's the power that breaks down the dividing walls of hostility. And when they don't believe, then you walk in their midst and you show off the gifts. You give them a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom. Really freak them out. Speak in tongues and have an interpreter there. (laughs) Oh, it's been done, church. I've heard stories of missionaries who didn't know the language and God gave them a gift where they could speak the language that his gospel might be presented, that the kingdom of God might be at hand. Where are the prophecies? I'm not talking about sleeping with the Democratic Party. I'm not talking about sleeping with the Republican Party. I'm not talking about having an affair with the Libertarian Party. I'm talking about a prophetic church that speaks to the ills of our society. A church that... that takes up the cause of the oppressed. And church, I ain't only talking about poor people. I'm talking about the unborn as well. Come on, somebody. Oh, this isn't just, we're just going to just, just be about the, no, no, no. We're about all those that are oppressed. We, the church, are allowing unborns to be killed. Come on, somebody. We're talking about being endowed with the Holy Ghost. We have power from on high to say no. And the world will take notice when they see the supernatural people of God 
who's not afraid to die, who's not afraid of their income being taken away, who's not afraid to be spat in the face because they love Jesus. And Jesus said, if I suffer, you will. But the glory that comes from the obedience of being endowed with the gifts from on high cannot be compared to the suffering that comes from walking in the fullness of God. Now, all that was my introduction. My sermon topic, you are the key. We all know about keys. Keys unlock. Keys are pretty unique. We need keys. We need you. See, because I wasn't, when I speak about College Hill Presbyterian Church as a collective, it begins as a unique individual. See, you are the key. God gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to you. Yeah. Messed up. Not all together, sinful thinking, sinful eyeing, you and me. Crazy, isn't it? Ha! Crazy, isn't it? Talking about being endowed supernaturally, just think about it, that God would give a messed up me the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'd lose that thing. But that is... God's provision for the world is us. You are the key. And when you start to think about, oh, it just couldn't be me, I have three points. First, you were made by design. In Psalm 139, 13 through 14, David talks about you alone created my end nor being my inmost being. You knitted me together inside my mother. I would give thanks to you because I have been so amazingly and miraculously made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are miraculous, and my soul is so aware of this. Well, when David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, he's saying, oh my God, I'm in awe. Lord, I am awe of me. And it's not so much that he's in awe of his own greatness within himself. He's in awe of himself because God intricately, God minutely put him together. So College Hill, I want you to know that you were no mistake. You are here by design. You are here on purpose. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God took time, eternity, to make you so that you would house his glory, that you would be endowed with the Holy Spirit. 
You were made by design. You know, I read a little bit about an illustration of architects. And one of the things, we have a lot of architects in our church. One of the things, from what I understand, that architects do before they write, uh, draw the plans and all that, they, they want to know what is the purpose of this building, of this facility. Do you know where I'm going? You are here. You are equipped because God already foreknew what your purpose is. <laughs> Don't you know that every gift that you need, every gift that you would have to have going into that crack house, if you were caught there, that God already gave it to you before the foundation of this world. Just like an architect would build their their facility according to the needs that are needed for that building. You were uniquely built. Come on. You were uniquely fashioned. You were uniquely equipped with gifts that when you're in that situation, come on somebody, that you would be able to walk supernaturally with the gift of God. It's just like you get a car and you buy the car in the wintertime. You don't automatically try out the air condition. Oh, but when summertime comes, when that season comes, you turn on the air and it's already there. Church, if you would just understand and know your uniqueness that God has made you, has designed you, and is not to have a holy huddle in church only. See, I think that's okay. If you're walking in your giftedness and you're bringing healing and wisdom and knowledge to those in our body, but you were also equipped, fully loaded, when the summer comes. <laughs> oh, yeah. When it's hot outside and people are restless and people are outside and they don't have anything to do. You are uniquely equipped Church, when, when there's chaos in our community and the fire is hot and, and, and there's warring and riots, and you are uniquely equipped with an air condition <laughs> to bring coolness and peace in the midst of a storm. Don't ask me how it happens because it comes from him. It's supernatural. See, maybe that's our problem. We're trying to figure it out. God didn't call you to figure it out. He called you to walk in the giftedness that he's already endowed you in. Oh, come on, come on, come on. See, we're so busy trying to intellectualize God. And all he's calling you to is obedience. He didn't call you to figure it out. He called us to walk it out. Walk it out, College Hill Presbyterian Church. It don't make sense a lot of times. It don't make sense that someone who's afraid to get in front of people preaches. It don't make sense. Oh, but when he endows you from on high, he will give the ability. And his purposes will be accomplished. Because don't forget, it's all about his glory. It's all about him.
Next, we are his masterpiece. And I'm going to be done. We are his masterpiece. It was already shared. Ephesians 2.10. Do you know we were created in advance for good works? It says, Paul wrote, he says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I mean, we were created in the beginning already to accomplish things for God. He's already got them mapped out. That's why I love my Reformed tradition, because we acknowledge it. We acknowledge that God's already got it done. All we have to do is be obedient and listen and walk in it. Isn't it amazing? You don't have to worry about what you need to do or or where you need to go because God's already got it planned out. All we need to worry about is being intimate, abiding with Jesus in the vine. Because when you abide and when you're in great relationship with him, he will let you know. And if you're stubborn like me, he will orchestrate your steps and you will end up in Cincinnati. Oh, come on, somebody. You just don't, wait, you just don't move from Dallas, Texas to Cincinnati without God. Hey! <laughs> See, that's the way God works, though. He already had it planned out before the foundation of the world where Dennis was going to, where he was going to be. He already had it mapped out. My job is to walk with him, to follow him. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. See, I wouldn't purposely, intentionally go to a valley, right? Or through the valley of death. No, no, no. I'm there because I was caught walking with God. Come on, Jesus. Oh, sometimes if you're just following him, you'll end up in places you would never go. Walk with God. Allow the giftings to empower. And then lastly, you were designed for destiny. Every morning when you wake up, when I wake up, there's a destiny for you. God has something so wonderful, so glorious, so magnificent for you when you wake up that it's already set in place and you're already gifted with it. Sometimes it just might be smiling at a homeless guy. Sometimes it just might be speaking a kind word to a stranger. You just don't know on the other side. That stranger might have said, I'm going to kill myself today. And you spoke a good word. You just don't know how God weaves and interwoven his plans and his majesty. All we're called to do is walk in them. So you've been designed for destiny. Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. That was his destiny. When he was yet in his mother's womb, God knew and had planned his destiny. And let me tell you, you can't compare your uniqueness or your destinies to other people. Because it's not about you getting the glory. It's about God. You know, let's go back to the key. You are the key. Because, you know, keys have different shapes and different sizes and different colors. How many of you know that when you buy a new car, you don't shout up and down about the key? (laughs) Oh, come on. Oh, I know some of us are beautiful and some of us are gorgeous and some of us are so smart and have so many accolades and you're so 
interested about the key. Oh, you're so busy comparing ourselves to, to other folk and we don't compare here and we compare over there. Again, the emphasis is on the key. <laughs> but when I say you are the key and God says, it's not about you, it's about him. It's about what you open supernaturally. It's the kingdom of heaven. You are destined for an amazing destiny in God. You were chosen. You're just not sitting here in the church just because we're another social club, not because you've been here for years and years and years and you just feel loyal to this place. That's not why you're here. You're not here just because you need a good place to be buried. You're not here just because you need to see your friends every Sunday or to hear the choir. You're not here just for that. You're here because God picked you before the foundation of the world and gave a destiny in your life through the giftings he gave you that you might unlock some closed things in somebody's life. In a system. Never discount yourself with God. I guess I have four instead of three. And you're destined to belong. We are the church. College Hill, you have been gifted, endowed with the gifts from God. You are unique. There's no one in the world like you because he fashioned you to be you. And I'll leave this illustration as I close. After I graduated from law school, I was doing everything in the world to run away from my calling in God. I, was, I still love Jesus. I still, you know, led Bible studies and all these kind of things. But I was comparing myself to black preachers. Because I so admired the rhythm of the black preacher. You know, like the T.D. Jakes, you know, and, and, and like the Anthony Evans, you know, and, 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 and some of those guys who just have this amazing rhythm, like Bishop O'Neill, you know, who just, who can, who can, they have this amazing memory and they, and they can quote scripture and, and, and they can preach up a storm and, and people are like, hallelujah, hallelujah, and I'm like, God, that's not me. It's not. I talk like a white boy. I, I'm more of a teacher. I'm God. And so I ran. I ran. Because I was so focused on the key. And not on him. Until a pastor told me. He said, Dennis. God has already anointed the ears of those with your voice. Do you hear what I said? God has already anointed the ears for those to hear your voice. And that freed me. Because again, it wasn't about this key. It was about him. God has already anointed that locked door that he has called you to. 
trust Him and walk in the fullness of the gifts that He has given you. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what You have given us. And Lord, we are so overwhelmed that You would see the likes of us, yet give us the key, that we are the key. Lord, use us for Your glory. Lord, remove anything that would prevent us Lord, for being your light, for being your salt, for being your demonstration in our neighborhoods, Lord, in our city, in our church, in our nation. Lord, be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.